Good morning, and whether you are here in person or joining us online, we welcome you to worship this beautiful fall morning at Christ Church. My name is Eric Haskins. I have the joy and the privilege to be one of the pastors here at Christ Church. And again, just so glad you are joining us, whether you're here live, which is an opportunity now, or online. And we are so glad you are here. So now as a single church community in person or online, we call each other to worship. Come, let us worship the Lord Jesus. We affirm with the saints of old as we celebrate and acknowledge our thanks to the Lord Jesus for the blessed assurance that enables us to sing of his love and his grace all the day long. prayer. Lord, we come to you now in light of what we have just sung, that we are yours and you are ours. What a blessed assurance. And it's from this place of this blessed assurance of your faithfulness, love, and grace that frees us to admit our sins to confess them to you, asking for your forgiveness and guidance. Lord, because of how we have come to know you, we want more of you in our lives. And Lord, may, we give, may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear those parts of our lives that we are holding back and hiding from your 
transformation. Lord, we don't come to you out of fear this morning, but as humble children seeking their loving parents' help. Lord, we ask, have mercy on us according to your steadfast love graphically displayed on the cross. Lord, we bring forward and admit those ways this past week we have not loved you with a whole heart and a pure heart and the ways we have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we admit we have been bypassers and ignored people in our life this last week. You were prompting us to help. Lord, we also confess and ask for forgiveness for all the ways we have not done justice or love kindness or walk humbly with you, Lord Jesus. Grant us now, we pray, the grace to die daily to sin and to rise daily to new life in you, Lord Jesus, so that we can truthfully sing with joy and peace this is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. We ask this according to the assurance of your grace and transforming love, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hear the truth of God's assurance for the forgiveness of sins we are given through the scriptures in the book of Romans. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But now you are free from the power of sin. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.
friends. Beautiful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Gracious and loving God, we have come to worship. We have come to worship you and give you thanks for the gift of your faithful and transforming presence. We are grateful that you provide for us in all the seasons of our lives. And we ask that during this uniquely trying season we find ourselves in, you may fill our hearts now with an ever-growing awareness of your love towards us and the call we have on our lives to share this love through how we treat others, remembering when we are weak, then you are strong. Lord, at this time, we remember our neighbors and friends we encounter each day who may be struggling to keep up with new and seemingly ever-changing patterns of work and school. May we continue to live in the way of Jesus and put into practice what we have learned over the last several Sundays through your parable of the Good Samaritan to notice our neighbors, especially those in need to open the door and follow your lead as we risk ourselves in living as you call us to live for others, even at cost to our own selves. Lord, we especially pray for those areas of our state and country and now as we hear world that are seeing an increase in COVID cases. Lord, you know we are tired. So, Lord, we ask for grace-filled strength and wisdom in how to respond to others. As we remember, each person may have a different story and experience than ourselves. So, may we be quick to listen and slow to speak. Lord, we need your peace-giving presence more than ever. May we truly believe and see you in the midst of our fears, our weaknesses, and ever-changing circumstances. No matter 
where we find ourselves in our journey with you today, Lord. We give thanks for your presence with us and your promise to be with us always. Keep us from self-pity, Lord, and stir us to rise each morning expecting to encounter you and to be caught up in your work. All of this we pray as the community of faith-filled followers of Jesus, as we join our voices together in person and online by praying the words that you, Jesus, taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, again, it's good to be with you here this morning, Christ Church. Whether you're online or in person, we welcome you um, again on this beautiful fall morning. If you are new to Christ Church and would like to connect with us, you can do two different ways. If you're online, you simply click the button online when you're ready, and we would love to connect with you and get to know a little bit more about you in that way. If you are here in person, we have a new feature for you. Just open up your phone and text NEW to the number that you see on the screen, and you will get a response, and you can fill out the form right on your phone, right in the pew. And uh, again, it's just a way in this day and age to uh, get to know you, to connect with you, any needs you might have from prayer requests to serving uh, desires. We would love to come alongside you and help you with any of those. This afternoon, we hope that you will join us for the long-anticipated and ever um, amazing hymn sing that we do this year. Uh, we will be doing this online due to the Chicago weather as is typical. Uh, so we will be online this afternoon at three o'clock joined by some of our favorite folks here, uh, especially from our classic service. And it's been great to see many of the favorite hymn requests coming in the last several weeks. So you can find all the information on how to do that either on our webpage and or join us Facebook Live at 3 o'clock this afternoon. And we hope you are singing loudly and have the windows open at home that your neighbors want to join in. All right. One other thing, this is a big one, so there's going to be a lot of notes here, which I'm so glad we do have a link for you to get more details. We know as we enter very shortly, can you believe it, the Christmas holiday season, and in this day of COVID, it has been very difficult for many families, even in our area, the greater DuPage area, to make ends meet due to job changes and job shortages and the like. And because of that, people are in dire circumstances to pay the rent, let alone to provide Christmas gifts for their children. And this is where we can come in as a community. We are going to provide shoeboxes, Christmas shoeboxes for families that we are partnering with our mission partners throughout the area and then also our Butterfield campus. And so what you can do, if you're here in person on your way out, you can pick up a collection of, of boxes that are flat right now. 
You fill them following the instructions on the screen and bring them back uh, by the end of November. And again, all the details and dates. There's a, a sheet in the shoebox itself that you pick up today. Um, and also online, all the details are there. I know myself, I'm going to plan on picking up a stack of these boxes on my way out today. In fact, Linda, if you're watching, Linda's my wife, please text me and remind me to do so because I just don't want it for my family. I want to engage my neighbors. And I'm going to set a collection of these on my front porch and email my neighborhood that I live in and say, hey, if you want to join in with what we are doing as a Christ Church, please do so. And hopefully those in my neighborhood would join in as well. If you're online, this does not leave you out. You can follow the same directions that were on screen just a moment ago, and you can pack all those items into a bag or a box and drop them off accordingly over the next several weeks. So whether you're here in person or online, please join in with this great cause and this great resource to needy families in this season. So we transition now to our offering we come to the time of our service where those who call Christ Church home give freely and lovingly to this ministry. And as we hear, Be Thou My Vision as our offertory song, and as I was reflecting on this this week, reading the lyrics of one of, that is actually one of my favorite hymns, Lord of my heart, thou in me dwelling, and heart of my own heart, whatever befall, as I reflect in that, I can be generous in my, with my time and my talents and my resources because God gives me perspective and he gives me strength and he gives me what we've already sung about, assurance of his ongoing presence no matter what is swirling around us. And so you can join in the act of worship through giving, by texting, by online, or by dropping your gift off in the mail. And in person, as is our habit during this season, you can give on the way out, just remembering the beautiful strength, love, and grace that God extends to us, so we now extend back to him with our gifts and our offerings. Let's worship now in our giving.
Good morning to you uh, who are joining us online today and to all of my dear brothers and sisters in person uh, here on our campuses. Uh, it is a privilege to be able to gather in worship wherever we are and to come before the God who knows us by name, who sees our stories, and who is always eager to meet us through the power of his word. I know that it is no secret to any one of us that we're living in a time in the life of our country and uh, our communities and maybe even our own families where we are experiencing conflict. Uh, we're engaging in bitter disputes that so often divide us. I can't recall a time actually in my own lifetime when I've felt like the people I was meeting uh, were so keyed up and found myself sometimes so worked up that it was very difficult to have serious, thoughtful conversations about the matters that matter most. I know that preaching itself has become something of a dangerous business in this age. <laughs> uh, as our preachers have sought to wrestle with some of the issues of our time in recent days, we've received such uh, strong communications from the community, from the church itself, uh, from both sides of the political spectrum, uh, it has managed to uh, stir us up. It makes us sometimes anxious about how we really are going to talk together helpfully about these things. Uh, I know I've never so seriously considered becoming a librarian, uh, which seems like a quieter, more uh, sane profession at times. Uh, nonetheless, I want to keep on keeping on, and I want to invite you today to join in the first of a series of reflections on how, by the guidance of God's Word, we might live through these times we're going through in the most God-honoring and people-blessing way we possibly can. We titled this series with the palindrome 1221 to suggest something of the oppositional nature of this season in American life. 
1221 may also seem to fit in some ways because it can frankly feel like it's after midnight, so to speak, in America. We've been late in addressing uh, some of these divisive uh, qualities in our country. The optimist in me observes that 1221 also happens to be the date of the uh, winter solstice. It's the day when the light begins to grow brighter and brighter, and I believe we need God's light in our time, and it's available to us, and it can illumine our way forward. And that is the main reason that we actually chose this title, 1221. It's because we're going to be seeking God's light together. As it comes to us particularly through the testimony of the Apostle Paul, as he spoke to a divided age as well, as he called the Christians of his time to live by the principles of the kingdom of God. We're going to be looking together over these next weeks at the 12th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. And the final verse of that chapter, 1221, may be the most significant one of all, and we'll be uh, finishing our series with it. In the chapter that precedes Romans, or, or, or uh, comes right after uh, Romans 12, uh, Romans 13 supplies in Paul's language a brief lesson, as it were, in Christian civics. Uh, Paul lays out there some very important principles for Christians as they deal with the politics of their time. He calls upon Christians uh, to pray for political leaders, and I hope that we're doing that now. I hope we're praying for our president, for the members of Congress, for our courts, for all of the leaders at local judicatory level, for those who are seeking office from both parties. We are to pray uh, for our politicians. We're also to obey the rule of law. Uh, we are to respect the role that God has given to governments to establish the kind of public order that is required to restrain evil and to set the best possible conditions in order to allow from the, for the progress of good. I think sometimes how hard it must have been for the Christians who heard Paul saying these things in their times. They were living in a period of history when the uh, Roman government did not seem to be on the side of Christians. When the Roman government seemed to be acting in ways that they thought were very contrary to the way of Jesus. When the Roman government was actually persecuting actively the church Nonetheless, Paul gives this set of instructions to believers to pray for the leaders of their, of their government, to obey the rule of law, to respect the role God has given to government. I think that's a powerful and convicting reminder, frankly, to me and maybe even to you, that, that we are not to give in to the temptation to descend into a, 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 a spirit of contempt for, for the politicians and those who are attempting to lead us uh, in our age. We're not to flout law and order even when governments fail us, and they do, even when systems of justice and of society and of civic uh, organization fail us as they do. Paul notably doesn't put his focus, however, on the uh, performance of politicians or of governments, but rather on the character of Christians, which he thinks is the most influential topic of all. Paul has this vision, and we'll come back to it later on in the series, that, that, that Jesus was right, that even a mustard seed could overwhelm its environment if it was allowed to flourish, and the church must be that mustard seed. It must be that distinctive culture within the cultures of humanity. 
In fact, I think that in Romans chapter 12, what Paul is trying to do is to spell out the key behaviors that Christians are to to steadfastly seek to bring to public life, even in conflicted and difficult and uh, uh, torrential times, tremendously uh, turmoil-filled times. No matter what kind of government we have now in the future and in the days yet beyond that, we are to live by the values that Paul spells out. So historians tell us that the early Christian church was an unusual kind of society in itself. The early Christian church drew from people of all sorts of different backgrounds and points of view. Uh, The kinds of points of view and backgrounds that make for the political and social and cultural conflicts of every age. The church we know from historical study included the wealthy and the poor. It was an unusual gathering place of people from the 1% and from the other percentages of life. It had young and old in it. It had women and men who were voices in it. It had the powerful. It also had the still enslaved. And some were very likely by our terms today very conservative people and others were very likely by Uh, measures of today progressive in other fashions, but what made the church a different kind of community was that it was in this society that all of this diversity found itself bound together into a larger sense of unity. It was almost like the picture of a triangle, that when Christ was the head, those who came from the left and the right, as they moved towards Jesus, found themselves coming closer and closer together. Christians were people whose primary sense of identity did not come from their race, from their ethnicity, from their age group, from their party, from their experience of persecution, but rather from being in Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. They were people who lived to advance a godly kingdom above any human empire. This was their passion, this was the mission that God had given them in their time. The Apostle Paul apparently had become concerned that the Christians in his age were losing sight of this calling, that this beautiful, distinctive characteristic of the early church was at risk of being lost, which is why I think he writes in Romans 12 and verse 1 these words, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To put it bluntly, Paul was concerned that the people of his church were losing their Christian mind. They were getting fuzzy on what the gospel was, on what the good news, on what the hope of the world really was. They were losing sight of the values and the behaviors of that new kind of kingdom that Jesus had modeled and preached and pictured in parables and called the church into the world to bring into being. To put it another way, rather than focusing on the kingdom, the minds of Christians were getting taken over by the very powerful and pervasive stories that always work within empires that are the tools, in a sense, of those who establish empires, human empires. It was the Roman Empire 
in their time that Paul was concerned about. But I think we also have to wrestle with the nature of empire in our time. One of the most fascinating books that I've come across in recent days was published just last month by InterVarsity Press over in Downers Grove. Uh, it is a book entitled The Liturgy of Politics. It's a fascinating book because it's written by a very young woman, by one of the kind of young people that will be leading our country in years to come. She's just 26 years old. She's a graduate of Liberty University of Jerry Falwell fame. She's a current student at Dallas Theological Seminary, a conservative evangelical uh, seminary. And uh, she is an amazing young thinker. In her book, uh, Caitlin uh, Shess, as she's known, describes hearing a, a, a speech at Liberty University while she was an undergraduate. To the university had come Bernie Sanders, I think most of us are familiar with him. A self-avowed socialist and a non-religionist, Sanders knew well that he was not on sympathetic soil being at Liberty University. Nonetheless, the senator made an earnest plea for the common ground that he felt that he and the students and faculty he would be speaking with might actually find together. Your biblical tradition, Sanders contended, certainly makes you concerned about caring for vulnerable people. Sanders, raised Jewish, understood this. He had read the prophets. Can we talk about how we might do that together, Sanders said. He wasn't asking for their vote that day. He was simply inviting this broader constituency into a shared conversation about how we as a society can care for the vulnerable. Caitlin, a conservative herself, uh, then listened in astonishment as the audience largely rejected Sanders' outstretched hand. A little while later, the conservative Christian author Anne Voskamp also visited the campus. In her address, Voskamp made an appeal from biblical grounds to concerns for people on the other side of the wall. Now, she was not talking about the border wall. She wasn't even being coy about that. She was not even thinking about that particular wall. She was speaking about the kinds of partitions uh, of psychology and, and, and sociology that often keep us uh, separated from uh, authentic relationship with the fullness of all the people God has made. Uh, Ms. Schuss was similarly stunned at how the audience reacted to this very traditional person who one would think would have been seen as a friendly voice, as someone who shared their theological convictions. But the very mention of the word wall had had a catalytic effect, an unintended effect in the minds of so many of the people listening and closed their minds to what Voskamp was actually trying to say. And then it clicked for Caitlin Chuss. The young student realized there is a filter through which her peers were listening to both the liberal Sanders and the conservative Voskamp and kept them from hearing what each of them might say that could be relevant to everyone. Caitlin realized that she was living in a time where certain terms 
And certain storylines and ways of framing reality had become so very powerful and pervasive that they were overruling the minds of people uh, as to the language and the, the thought frames and the values of the actual biblical story. I would observe today, as I've wrestled with what it means to be a Christian in our time, that as church attendance has declined, especially during COVID, as local churches have been weakened, as the voice of the media has increasingly separated now into this kind of red and blue industrial complex, it's hard to find news anymore. It's hard to not just find a campaign organization in TV form. It has been harder and harder for me, and maybe for other disciples, to think clearly, to, to, to reason independently about the nature of the gospel message and the kind of society that the values of Jesus would want to form. And instead, we get continually invited to adopt these political worldviews that have some nominal and sometimes very real correspondence at points to the kingdom of God, that sometimes employ even biblical language to describe these elements, but which are in so many respects about the empires of man. And as I'll say more, the empires of humanity are not all bad, but, but they're not identical to the kingdom of God. So as we head into this upcoming election, and I would suggest everyone that will follow after this, and there will be many more, I just wonder if this isn't one thing to keep in mind. Uh, we certainly ought to be evaluating the mental competency and the character of the people who are running for office at every single level. That ought to be an important consideration because we want clear-headed people and we want people of character that will make for a better kind of nation and a state. We ought to do our best, I think, to project how the policies uh, uh, that these individual candidates at every level espouse will advance what we consider to be good, more on that next week. We ought to pay attention to each candidate's actual record because the past is usually the most reliable predictor of the future. But today I want to consider that as followers of Jesus Christ, it is also important to ask, what is the story that I am being asked to buy into? What is the narrative that I, that I am being invited to enter into as I hear the voices of the media or the politicians speaking to me. And how consistent is that story with what Jesus teaches about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and where is it, what I'm hearing, actually far more about the empires of man? Human empires, which is just another way of saying political systems, specialize in creating stories about the way to national salvation that are very well designed to hook people, to draw them in, and to make them subjects of their movement. I know that. I grew up in politics. 
I was part of, of campaigns, uh, Republican and Democratic campaigns, and I know what went on behind the scenes as we thought about how we would do our messaging. I was a political science scientist in college and studied this even further. Caitlin Schuss suggests that there are a number of very, very powerful storylines, what she terms false gospels, to which Christians today can easily become conformed. And by the term false gospel, she's suggesting that these things are painted as the way to national salvation or even to personal salvation. I would add more to her list than she supplies in the liturgy of politics, but I think it might be worth thinking just illustratively about a few of these ideas and reflecting on where I or you might have been overly influenced by these narratives instead of the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. There is, for example, the gospel of prosperity that is advanced as an idea in almost every season of political life. It's the chicken in every pot notion. It's the storyline that if you work hard enough, if you work long enough, you will win. There's a religious version of this and there's a political version. The idea is that heaven, God himself, or America, or your country will work for you if you work hard. And there's some truth in that. There's definitely some truth in that. The Bible puts a great deal of emphasis on personal initiative. It talks a lot about hard work and on the idea of reaping what we sow. The notion that people ought to simply be handed the fruit of real labor or somebody else's labor is the worst possible thing for human thriving. Socialism and communism has been historically proven to range from disappointing to disastrous for human thriving. But story after story in the Bible, and I would suggest in regular life, makes it clear that personal effort, as much as we should muster it, will not always be enough to bring about the results that God wants to see. Some people are up against challenges that make it statistically improbable that they will succeed without the intervention of more resourceful people. Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan is all about that. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sake is all about that. And if I've never been in a seat where I could not win by my own efforts alone, where I could not save myself by my own efforts alone, it will always be hard for me to get this idea, which is why I need the Bible. It's why I need Christian community to remind me that every single one of us is so desperately in need of grace, of resources beyond ourselves to find the life, whether eternal or temporal, that we want. I think that a genuinely Christian politics will not focus on condemning prosperity. It will not focus on, on condemning the the affluence of the few, but it will invite us to think continually about how we can best advance what is clearly God's concern all throughout the scriptures for the flourishing of all people, for all of his children. Our role as Christians, I think, is to keep on picturing 
a kingdom where everyone does their best, where everyone works hard, but love stretches out to cover where we fall short. What party today, except the church, truly has that particular agenda uh, closely in mind? Another one of the big stories of our time is the gospel of patriotism. And again, in every nation, this is one of the the visions of salvation, or nationalism is another way of putting that word. I was raised on this much myself. The mindset holds, at least in this country, that America is God's new Israel. It was chosen to be the new Israel, a special people. We are a Christian country. We're the world's savior. The very worst day in America is better than any other day anywhere else on earth. I heard these things many times. I soaked that in many times as I was growing up. And there's some truth in it. There's some truth in that storyline. Our country has been blessed with unusual resources. We are a destination towards which many the world over still aspires. It is an historical fact that the Christian vision of life played a crucial part in the development of our nation, in the quality of its life. And if we cancel the Christian voice from our courts, from our legislatures, from every level of our land, we are going to hurt this nation profoundly because it is the root of so much of the flourishing. I believe that. But we also need to make sure that ours is a genuinely Christian voice And not just the voice of a a prideful kind of nationalism. I've lived outside of this country, as some of the others of you have as well, and there are some pretty great days in other parts of the world too. (laughs) There are some pretty great things about other nations too. I'm missing Italy right now. I imagine others are too. If America is in any way the new Israel, then as students of the Bible, we should know that that God regularly had to call Israel to repentance for its national and personal sins. As Christians, it has to be okay for us to admit that our nation's history, for all of its great parts, has contained some huge moral misses and still is prone to We have to be free to say that if we're people of the Scriptures. The God we meet in the Bible is not friendly towards any nation that says, our nation first, whether that's Russia or China or America. History is littered with the remains of the empires whose hubris God eventually sought to address. The scrap heap of history is filled with nations who lost sight of God's concern for all nations and the flourishing of all people. We must remember that in the kingdom of God, privilege is always linked to humility and to servanthood. Then I think there is the gospel of security that seems quite a part of the conversation in our time. We are frequently these days driven to fear. We are constantly being encouraged to fear more. All of the people that want to blow us up, 
the murderers and the rapists who want to come across our borders, the looters that want to steal our stuff, the people whose irresponsibility want to infect us with COVID, the religious fanatics who are trying to take over our courts, the people who are offending my dignity with their microaggressions. Can you hear the tone of fear, the constant stoking of anxiety that's so much part of our time. You are so threatened by those people is one of the major storylines advanced from the left and from the right today. And you know, it's partially true. It's partially true. Yes, there is sin. There is evil. There is risk in life. I don't know about you, I've seen people do horrible things to people in my family, and I've lost people because of those horrible things. Our congregation lost a treasured pastor at 9-11. I own a Ring doorbell video system. I am a licensed gun owner. I wear a mask when I'm outside in public, but as Christians... It seems like we can agree on this, all of us. We can't buy enough cameras and guns. We can't build enough walls and wear enough protective gear to void the thing Jesus said was true of life. In this world, you will suffer. But be brave because I have overcome the world. Christians are people who are unusually realistic about the risks of life, the pain of life, but who are not primarily driven by fear. They will be the last ones. Biblical Christians will be the last ones to give in to conspiracy theories from the extremes of the right or the left. We are the people who who face the lions rather than deny our faith. We are the people that stayed behind during the bubonic plague to care for the sick and dying out of compassion, driven by faith in Jesus Christ and the life beyond this life. We are the people who believe that because we are in God's hands, we're going to be okay no matter who is president. One of my favorite Bible passages is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I encourage you to read just the first 17 verses this afternoon. It basically says, we may suffer, we may struggle for a while. We probably will, says Paul, but we believe that through Christ, we will ultimately be victorious. So we do not live in a spirit of timidity, of fear, but of power, love, and self-control, the gospel says. It also seems to me that our politics today can be influenced at times by the gospel of supremacy. Again, every nation is subject to this particular uh, ruse over time. Uh, Germany was... Uh, in some ways, the Roman Empire was. It's this notion that there's a particular culture that is superior to all the others. I come from the Northern European culture. I'm as white a guy as God ever made, I think. I went to Ivy League schools. I, I, this was my experience. And there's so much about my culture I adore and I'm so thankful for and think brings value to the great 
uh, melting pot of American society. But I also have to remember sometimes and remind myself that ultimately I follow a Lord who was not white, who was not European, who did not go to Yale, who was from a culture very different from mine, from a people who had been oppressed. It's not wrong for any of us to love the particular culture from which we've come, but as Bible-based Christians, we are always called to prioritize the values of the kingdom of God and its other-embracing, its outward-moving ethic above everything. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18 tells us it's only Christ who has the supremacy, and he draws all of us towards himself. Our times are marked profoundly by the gospel of individualism as well. It's the idea that is advanced so often in the politics of our time that everything would get better if all of us were simply free to follow every one of our own desires, our own choice, our own tastes. But so much biblical teaching and historical experience tells us that doesn't work out well, starting with Genesis chapter 3 and the garden. There are boundaries, there are balances, there are accountabilities that we have to also reckon with. Some of the paternal or political voices of our time are big on the gospel of paternalism. It's the notion that just all we need is a bigger and more benevolent state. That will be our salvation. States, of course, do provide many benefits. But as Christians, we know there's only one Savior. And when he is number one in our lives, when he is first for us, he will move us towards wiser moral choices, towards a deeper kind of community with others that diminishes our need for so many of the massive structures of state empires. I guess what I'm trying to say as I blather on and as I bring the blathering to a closing today is that the storylines of prosperity and nationalism and security and individualism and paternalism and plenty more will always be highly powerful. They're always going to hook us in some ways. They hook me. They're being touted all over the political landscape today and through the media. And appealing to these powerful storylines will always help to build the popular following that is needed to create political empires of one kind or another. Empires aren't all that bad, not always bad anyway. I think we live in a pretty good one, one that will actually be able to weather whoever is the next president. But Paul reminds us that as followers of Jesus, we are not to be conformed to the values of empire. We are meant to be witnesses and advocates for a balance of values and a vision that no one party, no one candidate is going to have a corner on. At the end of the day, of course, each of us is going to have to cast our vote for an imperfect emperor and for people in every other level of government. Hopefully, it will not be on the basis of the false gospels that they may appeal to but rather on the basis of the kingdom values that we earnestly, prayerfully believe will best advance 
through their leadership. In the meantime, and to paraphrase Caitlin Schuss's helpful suggestion, I wonder if it would not be helpful to evaluate the voices in your life. And as I evaluate the voices in my life in this political season, and ask ourselves, what is forming me? What is forming me? Even if I'm still tuning into the news, and I think we should still try and stay as informed as we possibly can on the issues, on the policies, but, but what am I being asked to love, to fear, to hate, and what kind of good life is this vision being presented to me describing? If I am deeply and regularly immersed in the Bible, it will be easier for me to discern whether the voices shouting at me are the ones calling me to serve an empire or calling me to live into the possibilities of the kingdom. So as we'll explore further in weeks to come, God's word calls us to greater clarity in these conflicted times. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, says Paul, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, for then you will be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Please pray with me. Gracious God, I just pray that you will take my very human words and overrule whatever damage they have done in this message, uh, whatever uh, obstacle they have created to the furtherance of your actual good purposes. And I pray, Lord God, that whatever seeds have been in what you have led me to say this morning uh, that are advantageous to the flourishing you long to see brought forth. I pray that those seeds would not be trampled, would not be snatched away, but would sink deep and bear fruit, fruit of the kingdom, fruit of the only government that will ultimately last. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.
We want to say thank you once again for joining us in worship today, uh, whether here in person on our campuses or uh, at home, wherever you may be. Uh, we do pray for God's gracious uh, continuing blessing in your life in these days to come. Uh, we are going to be uh, dismissing those uh, here in our worship spaces shortly and doing so uh, as the ushers will come forward and dismiss us section by section. We do request that uh, you uh, observe social distance as you exit on your way today and do hope you'll come and join us in whatever way that you choose uh, next week. And now as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and lead you in his way this day and until we meet again and forevermore. Amen.